This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Well, take your Bibles tonight and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, if you will. And uh, we're in chapter 2. All right, so we're going to be looking at several passages of Scripture tonight. And uh, I want to pick up uh, where we basically left off last week. I do want to go back and reread for you verse number 6 and uh, verse number 7. There's a couple of things that I want to mention still with verse number 7 before we move forward. Uh, So we'll pick up with verse number 6 in just a moment. But let me ask you to go back to verse number 6. This is where I want to pick up tonight. Wherefore also it contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. And so, as I've already mentioned, I want to reiterate some things from this passage that, uh, and then a little bit that we did not finish on last Wednesday night. But this thing about the cornerstone, that's important, and it's a great study. And so I do want to make a couple of more reflections on this passage tonight uh, and this this thought. The Bible says, Where uh, unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed. And we talked about last week how that word meant rejected. So we're still on this cornerstone thing, and I want you to be really attentive to this. It's a marvelous study, uh, and you can uh, develop it even deeper in your own personal time. But unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And so I want you to notice the part that says disallowed. We talked last week how this was in reference to the stone that the people rejected. I gave you three passages of Scripture from the Old Testament and how it was quotations in reference to the cornerstone, Jesus being that cornerstone. And I want to just give them to you quickly again we're actually going to look at one of them. But I gave you Psalms 118, verse number 22. We talked about Isaiah chapter 8 and verse number 14. And the last one we referenced was Matthew chapter 21 and verse 42 through 44. But I want you to see the part in this scripture in Matthew chapter 21 And it says, and whosoever shall fall on this stone. I want you to look at this. And so I know I didn't give these scriptures to you back there, Brother Uri, ahead of time. So you're playing catch up with me. I have a habit of doing that, throwing scriptures your way that uh, we haven't uh, wrote down before. So I appreciate you being a good sport about it. But in Matthew 21, uh, verses 42 through 44, I want you to find this one that says, And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. Sometimes when you read a passage of Scripture, you say, What on earth does that mean? 
And if we're not careful, we have a tendency just to brush over it real quickly and get to the next verse. We don't understand it. I don't know what it means. And so uh, it must not be really important. But I want to give you a little enlightenment to this passage tonight. Whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And look at that. Because Jesus was basically saying this, whoever does not believe in me, Jesus was saying they are going to experience a severe consequence. Whoever does not put their faith and their trust in me, look at the latter part, whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. So Jesus said that the consequence of not believing was going to be grievous. In other words, he was saying this, it's better to fall on Jesus while you can than waiting until he falls on you. And there's a scripture that says, let us work while it is day because the night cometh when no man can work. The opportunities that are set before us right now They are so important and they're so valuable. I think every Bible student realizes the gravity, the enormity of the times that we're living in right now. And I will tell you that as we see this world disintegrating on a daily premise, It's not within reason for any of us as born-again children of God to take one single day for granted because we, we're hanging on by a thread. And, and time is running out for people to call upon the name of the Lord. And when I read this passage of Scripture and I studied it with this cornerstone thing, uh, Peter, he was addressing the Sanhedrin. There's a passage of Scripture and let's look at it. It's in the book of Acts. Hold your place here in First Peter, and let's go back to the book of Acts just for a moment. In chapter 4 and verse number 10 and 11, he, he addresses this cornerstone thing again. He's talking to the Sanhedrin, and this is what he says. Be it known unto you all, And to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Then notice what he says in verse 11. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders which has become the head of the corner. So when Peter is writing this, so much time he has developed, the Holy Spirit moving him in every letter, the formation of every letter, every word, but he is, he's parked here for a minute. 
giving us some great exhortation on this cornerstone thing. In fact, it was a favorite theme, I believe, not only of him, but the Apostle Paul too. In Romans chapter 9, verse number 32, and I mentioned just a few minutes ago that we're going to look at a number of of scriptures tonight, and I pray that it'll be a blessing to you because you can cross-reference them in your leisure. But Peter and Paul made much about this wonderful thing about Jesus. Not only was he precious, but how valuable he was as the stone. In Romans chapter 9, verse 32, Paul writes like this, Wherefore, because they, talking about the Jews, sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. They stumbled at that stumbling stone. Look at that. Paul reiterates basically the same theme that Peter's talking about. So when you go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, and you're looking, or chapter 2, you're looking at chapter 2 and verse number 8, Peter is he's analyzing this entire thing. He's saying that the Lord doesn't become the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense to everyone. Have you ever witnessed to somebody that just, it seemed to be their second nature just to argue the word? I mean, somebody that, that just wanted to fuss about it and, and twist it around and turn it around just, just for the sake of arguing. Uh, I know that predominantly in my world as a pastor, some of the hardest people to talk to about Scripture as a Calvinist. And it's almost as difficult as talking to a Jehovah's Witness when you get tangled up with a Calvinist because they just want to argue. And by the way, it's not like one size fits all with a Calvinist. There's a two-point Calvinist, three points, some are four, some are all five points. And I'll talk to you about those points at another time, another sermon, another day. But there are some people that just stumble at the word. They just make it so difficult and want to fuss and argue about it. And Peter's analyzing this in verse number eight. He says this, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. And so the Jews had a long history of stumbling at the word and for being disobedient. You know the history. They've, they've had like a roller coaster type of a relationship with God. They were on the mountain with him, and then they were in the valley, and then they were serving other gods. They were dancing around a golden calf and, and just into idolatries. And there were different periods of time when they had just closed their ears uh, to the prophets. They wouldn't even listen to them. And by the way, I believe the same kind of thing is happening today as well. The world by large is closing their ears to the word. They don't want to have anything to do with it. They are vehement against it. If you look again at the latter part of verse number 8 here in the Scripture, the Bible says, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. This means... 
that after a constant refusal of opportunity to heed God's word, according to the scripture, God will put people on a shelf after a repetitive refusal. He'll abandon people to fall in the error of their own transgression or their own ways. That's sort of like how God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, works in our day. Because you can say no to the Holy Spirit at some point one too many times, and God's Spirit will not strive with you again. He'll put you on the shelf. And so that's basically what what Peter is referencing here. This is what Peter means when he says, whereunto, look at this, whereunto also they were appointed. Stumbling at God's word is the consequence for not believing it. You have to think that through just for a minute, but stumbling at the word is the consequence for not believing. It's like this. If a person refuses to watch where they're walking and they just... I can remember right before I had my last back surgery, we had the lights down in here. We were doing something back here. I forget what it was. And uh, we were working on the platform. And I don't know how many times I've been in here, even with the dark, with complete lights out. I, I can pretty much navigate myself around after 40 years. You know where every nook and cranny is. But on this particular day, somebody came in. They were making a lunch order for everybody that was working and called my name, and I turned around, and I just I just walked and didn't get very far, maybe second pew where I landed. And it was because I wasn't watching what I was doing, wasn't watching where I was going. And you think about this. This is what Peter's trying to give us the example. If you don't watch where you're walking, you're going to stumble. And so he says this, being disobedient whereunto also they were appointed. He said they're going, to, they're going to automatically stumble at the word being disobedient. And so Peter is putting a spotlight on this subject. He's pointing out the inevitable consequence of rejecting Christ and a person who will not heed the truth. I've said this many times. Listen carefully. A person that will not heed the truth will ultimately embrace a lie. And this has been the sad history of the Jewish people for thousands of years. And Peter brings this to light. And then in verse number 9, let's look at this. He said, but ye are chosen generation. Now, I gave you a deep thought last week. We were talking about the priesthood, we're talking about how the priests were out of the tribe of Levi and uh, how that predominantly revolved around the family of Aaron, the ancestry of Aaron. We're going to talk a little bit more about that tonight because just as important as this cornerstone, uh, Peter is pointing out to this priesthood thing. He says, but she, our chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and that's worthy to underline, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So Peter now turns from his message for those who were, who were rejecting Christ 
he now puts the spotlight on the joys and privileges and responsibilities to those who would accept him, who would gladly receive him. And keep in mind that in the Old Testament, it was the Jewish people who were God's chosen people. That's what the scriptures divinely teach. All right. But listen, but now in the New Testament, now in Christ, the door has been opened to all mankind. In the days of the Old Testament, God was working almost exclusively with the Jewish people. Now, here's the thing to keep in mind. They were and are his chosen people, but now in the New Testament, under grace, there is a new chosen generation. Let's look at this again. But ye are a chosen generation. So where it was predominantly the Jewish people who were his chosen people in the Old Testament under the law, now in the New Testament, God has opened the door of grace to the Gentiles as well. Now he's included all mankind into the scope of his grace. And so now the royal chosen priesthood or people is the church. And I want you to keep this in mind. God was not taken at all by surprise that Israel's rejection of the Messiah, the rejection of Jesus. In fact, we study in the Word of God that he had a plan for that before the foundations of the world. But look at this. Peter not only emphasizes a chosen generation, but this is where it got interesting for me personally in my study. Notice what he says, but a royal priesthood. Now, again, if you remember in the Old Testament, the people of Israel had a priesthood. But it was a ritual priesthood. This is very easy now to lose me here because I know we don't like to study the priest and the, and the tribes. And oh, we talked about the tribes before. That's a deep subject, isn't it? But I will tell you, in the Old Testament, there was a ritualistic type of priesthood. It wasn't a royal priesthood. Peter emphasizes the royal priesthood here in verse number 9. But this priesthood in the Old Testament ritualistic as it was, it was concentrated on the tribe of Levi, and it primarily operated out of the house of Aaron. Now, here's something interesting about this priesthood thing in the Old Testament. The kings in the Old Testament, the kings were not able to be priests. This is very important. The kings were not able to be priests. Even David, he could not be a priest. Now, kings could be prophets, but kings could not be priests. One Hebrew king, and I'm going to show you this. This kind of gave me chills when I was studying. His name was Uzziah, and he tried to take the office of the priesthood. He wasn't from the tribe of Levi. He wasn't 
commissioned of God to do it. He just tried to take it on himself. And as a consequence to that, he was instantly smitten with leprosy because he was operating out of God's uh, formation of this. In fact, I want you to see the scripture in Second Chronicles. Let's go there. We don't look at these Chronicles a lot, but in chapter 26, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 14 and read through verse number 23. And I realize this is a little deep. Some of you that are watching at home, uh, we don't go to Second Chronicles a lot. Chapter 7, verse 14, we're very familiar with, but uh, pretty much we don't go there. Uh, not because we're scared to go there, but we just, I don't know why. The Lord leads us in the Word, and uh, we follow His leadership. But tonight we're going a little deeper than the surface Scripture, and we're going um, to see some amazing uh, comparisons here. So look, Second Chronicles chapter 26, and let's look at, at verse number 14, and I'll read through verse 23. And Uzziah, this is who we're talking about. Prepared for them throughout all the host, shields and spears and helmets, harbagons. That's talking about a certain kind of coat, by the way. And bows and slings to cast stones. And he made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks and to shoot arrows and great stones withal. And his name spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. He was not from the tribe of Levi. He was not a priest who was appointed by God, but he tried to self-invent himself to be one. In verse 17, And Isaiah, the priest, went in after him. He was basically saying, man, you've crossed a line. You have really got yourself in a mess. The Scripture says he went in after him, and with him fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant men, not just one, but several people went in after this guy and said, man, you are in big trouble here. In verse 18, and they withstood Uzziah, the king, and said unto him, it appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priest, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary. Get out of here. It's basically what they were saying. For thou hast trespassed. You have crossed the line. Neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was wroth. He was angry. He was festered about this thing and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth, or while he was angry with the priest, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. 
And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked upon him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And the scripture says this, And from thence, yea, himself hasted also to go out, because the Lord had smitten him. And Uzziah the king was a leper until the day of his death and dwelt in a several house, being a leper. For he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, first and last, did Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, write. So Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of the burial which belongeth to the kings. For they said, He is a leper, and Jotham, his son, reigned in his stead. And so the kings could not be priests. David could not be a priest. Kings could be prophets, but not priests. And so all of this, when you go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, and you're reading verse number 9, all of this is now changed because what happened is the cross abolished the entire Aaronic system. But this entire matter, it, it created a perplexity for the Jews because they knew the law. They knew the Old Testament. And they knew who, were, who was qualified to be a priest and who wasn't. Okay, so... Are you following? This is really, it, this is a good study for me. It's deep, but let's study the word together. Because as this was complexing to the Jewish people, the thing that I want you to understand is that there was a priesthood before Aaron. And that's where it really starts to get interesting. There was a priesthood before Aaron. In fact, Abraham acknowledged that there was a priesthood before Aaron. And I'm going to show you that text tonight in Genesis chapter 14. Let's look here. I know some of you are saying, man, this is deep tonight. I don't know that I'm getting all this. And I realize that I'm trying to go as slow as I can, but it's good stuff. And so Genesis chapter 14 and verse number 18. We talked about this individual a little bit last Wednesday night, Melchizedek, what an unusual man this was. I asked one of my Bible teachers many years ago when I was studying this subject in the ministry, I, what little I knew about Melchizedek, I asked him this question. I said, well, is it possible that Melchizedek could have been Jesus? Because when you study this guy, he had no mother, he had no father, earthly speaking. But here's the thing. I believe that Melchizedek was the pre-incarnate Christ. This is deep. It's overwhelming. I don't speak about this a lot. But let's look at this in verse number 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine 
And he was the priest of the Most High God. This is before the Aaronic priesthood. So this, there was a priesthood before the Aaronic priesthood. And it was revolving around Melchizedek. So look at this. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. In verse 20, And blessed be the Most High God, which had delivered thine enemies into thy hand, and he gave him tithes to all. So this was a royal priesthood, not a ritual priesthood. The ritual priesthood took place in the days of Aaron. But this was a royal priesthood, an order of priesthood that I believe prefigured the priesthood of Christ himself. Why do I say that? Well, let's look at the book of Hebrews just for a moment. And I know we're running out of time, but I, I have to give you these two scriptures before we leave. I cannot leave you here. I want to take you to the book of Hebrews and show you why. And so in the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, we continue on the subject of, of the priest. And I want to read the first 10 verses for you. Look very carefully with me. Hebrews 5, beginning in verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity? And by reason hereof he ought as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. Now there's only one person that could do that. That's the Lord. And no man taketh his honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I don't know if you got a chill right then, but I sure did. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Let me show you one other passage. We got to close here tonight. But chapter 7, I, I just... I need to read these first 14 verses for you. I'll try to do them as fast as I can, but let's look at it. 
For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abram gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Without father, look at this, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth the priest continually, the pre-incarnate Christ. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils, and verily, they that are the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law that is of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. And here men that die receive tithes, but here or there he received them, of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. And as I may say, so say, Levi also who received tithes paid tithes in Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. If therefore perfection were by Levitical priesthood, for under it people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, you see, there was a priesthood before Aaron after Melchizedek, Melchizedek was a royal priesthood. Aaron, he reigned or led under a ritualistic priesthood. In verse 12, for the priesthood being changed, Peter's talking about that royal priesthood. There is made of necessity a change also of the law. For he whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. This gets much deeper and better next Wednesday night. Because the confounding thing is, the Jewish people knew that priests had to be out of the tribe of Levi. They couldn't accept Jesus to be the priest, the Messiah, because he was not from the tribe of Levi. He was from the tribe of Judah. So this creates some hard confusion for them. I need to stop here because it's after 8 o'clock. If I don't stop here, we'll be here another 30 minutes. So, But hasn't this been good? Oh, my goodness. Go back to verse 3 real quickly, and we'll finish with this. About Melchizedek. Without father, 
without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth, look at this, a priest continually. Well, he is prophet, priest, and king. Amen. That's good study. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.